Good morning. I am Rabbi Jonathan Freirich, and I welcome you to Crossroads. Uh, the Network of Religious Communities sponsors this program, Crossroads, and it's a joint production with Town Square Media. Who is the Network of Religious Communities? It's an organization of denominations, congregations, and religious organizations located in and serving everyone here in Western New York. We are every type of religion you can imagine. We are Baha'i and Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, Sikh, and Unitarian. Uh, and together we celebrate the wonderful religious diversity of Western New York. And on Crossroads, we discuss all sorts of stuff. Uh, as, since Rabbi uh, Alex Lazarus Klein and I have taken over this time slot, I imagine it's been a, uh, skewed towards Jewish topics and topics of Jewish interest, but we try to bring non-Jews, people from other backgrounds to discuss things. So we discuss life journeys and community service with our guests. Today, I am truly honored to be joined by one of my favorite colleagues, uh, Reverend Tom Yorty, who is uh, the senior pastor at Westminster uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church, uh, our sister house of worship, uh, Temple Beth Zion and Westminster have served as mutual homes for one another when beset by things like arson and difficulty and fire. Although we don't know, were they arson? No, they were t accidental fires. I, that, I, I think that's the <laughs> the, the tradition. Um, I'm, I'd not heard arson before, but... Uh... Oh, well, so please, we'll scratch that from the record. <laughs> Rabbi Jonathan Fryrich has not illuminated anything in the, uh, in the cold case file of <laughs> you never know <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us tom oh jonathan it's great to be here always and to be with you and uh and to be sharing you know this work we do together uh, so this work we do together is what brings us together one of the things that uh you and i share an interest in is we both serve uh our community through uh this thing called the racial equity roundtable which is a project of the community foundation of greater buffalo and who have been focused on increasing racial equity in our fair city and Buffalo, understanding that there's what they call uh, an, an equity uh, there, when there's greater racial, racial equity in a place, there is greater economic and, uh, security for everybody. Uh, this strange idea that when we all do better, we all do better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all boats are lifted. And it's interesting that there's actually, uh, there are uh, uh, studies that document and uh, verify uh, exactly that. So if so, there are two reasons to do this, right? One is the economic reason, but the more important reason is the moral ethical reason. Have, oh, you mean we should be motivated by some <laughs> sort of like central teaching? Yes. So, uh, yeah, the the word I was looking for is there is in fact what you a quantifiable racial equity dividend mm. that the higher the level of equity, the higher the level of uh, socioeconomic, and as you pointed out, one might say moral ethical uh, security in a place. So. You and I uh, are um, servants to these large communities here in the center of Buffalo. And uh, how does your work on this particular area, this idea of racial equity, stem from your uh, demands of serving a congregation as large as yours? Well, you know, what comes immediately to mind is that Westminster uh, – really was fortunate to have a leader back at the turn of the century in the 1890s. Uh, oh, the uh, turn of the last century. The last century. <laughs> uh, yes. Dr. Samuel Van Branken Holmes. Dr. Holmes uh, got to Westminster in the early 1890s and retired in 1934. Wow. He was there for just about 40, 40 years. years. Yeah. 
Um, I'm actually only the fifth pastor in about 120 years, uh, senior pastor of the congregation. But, Astounding. So Dr. Holmes um, was here when, when Buffalo was, you know, the, the heavy industry was booming. Uh, immigrants were flooding into the community. This is, of course, before the time of unions and any kind of, uh, you know, regulation of hourly pay or work hours. And there was a lot of poverty, a lot of abject uh, heartbreaking poverty, and on the east side among the Germans. And uh, so Dr. Holmes um, uh, established Westminster House, which was the second settlement house in America wow. after Hall House in Chicago. And uh, and so we really identify that as it somehow got into the DNA. And, and I say he founded it, but it really was the leadership that supported him and felt that that was the right thing to do and the mm. Uh, important thing to do. And since then, I would say there have been a succession of clergy, but supported by the lay leaders who have been uh, committed to a stronger, better Buffalo and um, stronger neighborhoods, healthier communities. Um, we are, like you at Temple Beth Zion, a, I think, a regional congregation. Right. And so our members come from the north towns, the south towns. And one of the things that attracts people to Westminster, and not just members, but visitors, uh, is that we do have this commitment to the community and to the city. Well, you have this big mission on the west side. Yes. We, uh, about 12 years ago, we started uh, the Westminster Economic Development Initiative, which is a 501c3 that uh, was responding to jobs, the need for jobs, education, and housing. uh, As we learned about those needs in focus groups and had been at work in in some ways in in the immediately surrounding community, anyway, and uh, but bundled those together in a nonprofit that now is a small business incubator, loan and coaching program, as well as an after school uh, English learner language program. Wow, and uh, that's so exciting to me. And I think what's interesting is the overlap and the motivations in both our communities. The Jewish community in Buffalo also motivated by immigrant settlement. So uh, both communities, and one of the motivations for the creation of the Jewish Federation here in town was similar for, from, for the United Way, which mm-hmm. is there were a lot of overlapping agencies doing the same things. Yep. And there, were, there was a, a, a real need to figure out how to economize. Everybody was giving lots of time, and time treasure, and talent, right. uh, and they needed to figure out how to capitalize on it working all together. Uh, so that's an, that's an exciting community to be drawn to help facilitate that it says this is a priority. Definitely is. And, you know, one of the other things that is, I think, attracts people to Westminster, I don't think I know does, and that is our multi-faith relationships. We live in a world today when to be um, working and partnering with uh, people of other faith traditions is not an exotic or strange thing to do, but it's essential to today's world because we live in a world that is often fragmented and uh, at polar opposites. And so we have this Abrahamic faith tradition uh, and core values which call us to work together, to love God, to serve our neighbor, and huge common ground not only in sacred text, but in the values that we share. So uh, people want to be associated with a 
congregation that has a wider perspective, not a narrow, isolated perspective. Well, and we all are interested in overcoming uh, Martin Luther King's criticism of Sunday being the most Sunday at 11 o'clock being the most segregated hour of uh, American culture. Yes. Uh, speaking of American culture, if you're just joining us, uh, I'm Rabbi Jonathan Freirish. I'm here with Reverend Tom Yorty. This is uh, um, Crossroads, which is a joint production of Town Square Media and uh, the Network of Religious Communities. And we're discussing really how we move our communities or our communities move us in this case. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things is in, to get out of that hour – that hour where we are segregated into the community to motivate or to be uh, driven by our uh, our congregations, by our parishioners to say, okay, what happens in between our Sabbaths? And how are we participating in the transformation of the world during these Sabbaths? Uh, how how have you found, you know, you spun off a whole not-for-profit. Uh, so how, do, how does your community... Uh, do they feel like one and done? They've they've done their work and now and, and now they're ready to just come in on Sundays. Uh, <laughs> not not at all. I mean, we for example, um, we're now we've sort of oriented to the east side of Buffalo. So we're on. We've actually established some partnerships and are engaged in a four way partnership with uh, Bailey Green, uh, with Back to Basics, and. Uh, Reverend Gillespie and and Habitat for Humanity wow. to um, uh, to to create a headquarters for uh, peacekeepers, which is part mm. of the Stop the Violence on the East Side. Uh, Habitat will rehab the entire home. Uh, we will pay for the rehab. Westminster will and uh, provide volunteers along with others to re- do the rehab under the you know the leadership of Habitat. So. Wow. Um, so we're, you know, uh, th- really eager to see, uh, to to um, have some kind of partnership and outreach on the east side of Buffalo, which is new for us and very exciting. And yet I was in a meeting just yesterday, Jonathan, um, w- learning about the uh, uh, severe poverty on the west side of Buffalo. I, I mean, it's a simplistic world to think that the west side is up and coming and the real estate is going up. And we have all these wonderful immigrants who are, you know, making the community and commercial life of the community more robust, and that the east side is is where the great poverty is. And it's not true. Uh, there are wonderful, robust neighborhoods on the east side of Buffalo, and there's serious poverty on the west side. So I, I would just say, and part of this meeting said, we need to call for some sort of a map of the city, if not western New York, but to understand um, who's out there, what are they doing, how they are they addressing the problems of poverty? Because, um, uh, anyway. Um, no, and, and, and this is one of the constant challenges that we face is people doing good often don't connect with all the other people who are doing good. And our diagnosis of what we need is limited by what we see and what we hear about. And... Normally, we would say, okay, the the city of Buffalo and Erie County would be those clearinghouses, and thank God they are doing better at being that clearinghouse. And I wonder, and talking to all of you out there on a Sunday morning, I really... I'm asking both, you know, not just my colleague Tom, uh, uh, but all of you, 
what would it look like to have a real community clearinghouse conversation that said, okay, this block on the west side really needs some help, and this block on the east side, and this block in North Buffalo, and this block in South Buffalo, and we began to systematically say, okay, here's this great organization named PUSH that's doing amazing work on the west side, and here's First Shiloh Baptist that's doing fantastic organization on the east side, and how to connect us all. Yep, Jonathan, that that's the vision. Actually, we thought of that yesterday. We said, and a clearinghouse, but also the, the mayor and the county executive uh, commissioned a study mm-hmm. uh, some years ago on poverty, and um, and I'm I'm afraid that the study sits there on a shelf. Uh, if we could pull that study off the shelf, and and literally create a map of who are the NGOs out there, the non-governmental agencies that are as well as other service agencies that are reaching out to address these problems. Uh, step A, because I think there may be some inefficiencies and 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 waste because of overlap of services, and then also how do we plug in? you know, this block or that block. Uh, I read a recent study done by the uh, Sam McGavern and the Partnership for Public Good. Right. The zip codes of 14213 and 14207, both on the west side of Buffalo, are among the poorest. One of them, I think it's the 13 zip code, the top in the top 25 poorest uh, communities, zip codes in the state of New York. Wow. Uh, with a, a extraordinarily high p- proportion of single mothers um, unwed with uh, small children. And and this, you know, we combine this with the insights and the wisdom of Reverend George, George Nicholas, who reminds us from Lincoln United Memorial, uh, um, Lincoln Memorial United Methodist Church, that we have health outcome differentials by zip code in this city that are drastic. We have life expectancy outcome differentials by zip code that are drastic. And all of these affect all of us, which gets us to this question, because there's one thing where what we're looking at is, is there a methodology without creating yet another organization that we need to fund, right? Is there, you know, a mechanism that allows us to communicate between each other? And then there's the, how do we get to know each other? Mm -hmm. And you and I have Mm -hmm. been drawn into this project of the Racial Equity Roundtable that says, first and foremost, before we can effectively help each other, we need to listen to one another. Mm Mm-hmm. And this listening project, and it's a project that was started out of the Kellogg Foundation nationally that said that truth and reconciliation in this country on, with regard to racism was never going to be done from the government or mm-hmm. the judiciary, mm-hmm. that we were going to need to crowdfund it, as it were. So they started with philanthropies, and they mm-hmm. said, let's put together a racial healing methodology. Mm-hmm. Now, their methodology, and for those of you just joining us before we talk about racial healing circles, I'd just like to remind everybody, welcome to Crossroads. I'm Rabbi Jonathan Freirich, and I'm here with uh, Reverend Tom Yorty of Westminster Presbyterian. And we're talking about this whole idea that no matter how much structural we do for our communities, at the heart of it, we need to figure out how to acknowledge each other's fellow humanity. Yeah, yeah. And so 
Reverend Yordi and I have both facilitated and participated in a number of racial healing circles. Our primary partners in this have been members of the Jewish community from sort of a, a Caucasian perspective and uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Memorial United Methodist from the African-American community and First Shiloh Baptist also in the East Side and the African-American community and Westminster Presbyterian. So we've got four houses of worship that have been sort of our seeds. We're coming together with a much bigger multi-faith, multi-denominational, multi-house of worship event uh, in the beginning of April. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. Yes. that mm-hmm. And so if you're interested, by the way, feel free to contact either of us and we'll see if we can get you a seat at the table at a racial healing circle. So describe for me what it felt like to be drawn in for you into this, not just the uh, first participating in racial healing circles, and what kind of feeling did you have that led you to think it would be worth facilitating? Well, it, 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 it's, it's fasc- it was fascinating. My first um, experience uh, at, at being trained as a facilitator was to, of course, experience a healing circle and with my clergy colleagues. And uh, there, was, I had, there was a clergy colleague who walked into the room Pentecostal uh, Latino pastor, um, so you couldn't get two people theologically probably more <laughs> further apart than a Pentecostal and a you know uh, a cerebral Presbyterian, a Yale Divinity School trained <laughs> Presbyterian yeah. minister, yeah, no, yeah, who who teaches more academia from the pulpit than uh, than rousing fire and brimstone, exactly. <laughs> and, and so, and lo and behold, who would I be paired with? Uh, in my healing circle experience then with uh, with this pastor and and it's interesting that you know I mean I like to think of myself as fairly open-minded and uh, um, and yet I I found that I had made some sort of personal internal judgments about this individual just because of his labels his titles Pentecostal Latino um, and didn't think we'd have a whole lot in common, really, mm. to talk about. Uh, well, it what happened was, and and the question that we were posed with, and the healing circle, as you know, uh, has two or three questions that move deeper and deeper to the point where the participants, in this case paired, but then coming back into the plenary, uh, share something of their life experience. And the particular question we were dealing with actually uh, allowed us to talk about close family members who were suffering from or who had died from cancer. Wow. And, uh, or at least that's the answer, that was our answer to the question. And I found as I spoke uh, with my partner that he suddenly became a real human being. Mm. He was no more the Pentecostal Latino pastor. He was my brother, really. Uh, We especially in this shared experience, many of the common same experiences, feelings, emotions, passions, feelings, as you have, see a loved one, uh, experience cancer, Mm. go through that as a family. So what I came away with from that meeting after in the space of what I, you know, maybe that was a 20 minute conversation, 10 minutes each was this deep bond. And it's, and it achieved exactly what you were saying, Jonathan, that, uh, we get to know each other as human beings in this community and we live in different zip codes. We live in different n- suburbs and neighborhoods. And this is what the healing circle process does. It allows us to come together across over those barriers and build 
build bridges and bonds. And for people who are feeling like this is maybe you know, overexposure or an issue of vulnerability, I'd like maybe to paint a picture for everyone that what we're talking about is a highly structured setting uh, that nonetheless results in a unique outcome. So if you can imagine 10 or 15 people sitting around in a circle, uh, it's a safe space facilitated by people who've been through it a number of times, who are experts, who create what we would identify as holy space together. So, and yet I would say uh, that is absolutely right, and and that our and that my experience of that conversation and subsequent conversations in healing circles that I've had is that they've been perfectly natural and organic. I mean, it's been it hasn't been like oh boy now I got to come up with something. Or, you know, it was right. just like well, here's my experience of in response to the question. But I would also say that um, and you know participating in a healing circle. Uh, kind of gets us out of our comfort zone that sure. we do live in these uh, sort of self-selected interest groups. Uh, we are lo- often live in bubbles um, in, in, you know, in terms of the whatever news we prefer or the neighborhoods we live in or where we go to for entertainment. And, and so to get out of those uh, bubbles can be a little uh, uncomfortable but what I found is it really challenged me to be authentic, to speak my own truth. And this, this I think, figuring out how to do that particular thing, to speak our authentic, deep truth in a way that, first of all, we trust it will be heard, mm-hmm. and to do so trusting also that we're not going to offend someone. Mm-hmm. We at the core of the healing circle experience in my mind is a experiential wisdom that we need to bring to the public sphere that says, look, I've shown up to this conversation, whatever it may be. And therefore there's a presumption of respect and regard, a presumption of your, you and I are not the same person. We are going to say things that are going to rub each other the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing it too accuse we're not doing it to make one another uncomfortable uh, we're doing it in order to advance our sense of in it togetherness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh you know reverend nicholas uh, put forward a book to me that i cannot help citing for everybody over and over again this mm-hmm. book called white fragility which mm-hmm. i think was uh, it has been a seminal moment in my thinking uh you know for clarity's sake, here we are, you and I, a, um, both white Jewish and white Presbyterian uh, community leaders, working very, you know, arduously on trying to figure out how to overcome this racism question. Mm-hmm. And how good is it that we have two white people working on this? Because after all, one of the things that white fragility reminded me of, mm-hmm. and I need to uh, appeal to everyone out there to understand that we need to stop asking people of color how to solve racism right we are the ones who benefited from racism we are the ones who uh, maintain racist structures in society and we are the ones who must be the agents of its undoing right right uh the other thing that i learned from that and also from racial healing circles uh which i think is really important is i i need to stop justifying myself as not a racist. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know if you've had this conversation before, Tom, but I have often gone into a conversation with somebody who is uh, a minority like me, whatever that means. Mm. Right. <laughs> and, and spent the first part of it offering my uh, resume of why I'm a good person. <laughs> Here are the reasons yeah. why I am not, you know, the KKK member, uh, Whiting uh, crosses on a minority person's lawn. Right. And we need to dig deeper. And what you're yeah. talking about, yeah. this shared brotherhood that you experienced at a mm-hmm. racial healing circle, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that at a racial healing circle, somehow or another, we are comfortable having conversations that we are would otherwise not be comfortable having. Yeah. And, and I think the religious, what better place than the religious community to host these conversations that otherwise would not take place in our culture likely um and and to be doing it at an existential level not an intellectual or you know analytical level but to be doing it with other real people um i i i completely agree you know that it's not up you know as a as i mean in one sense as henry louis gates says you know there's one race i mean race is an invented thing but on the other hand the invented races that we have have caused a great deal of suffering and harm and Sorry. we need to understand, and I think white people, um, I am blind to the suffering and the pain that this racist institutionalization of the race systems uh, causes for people. Um, and so we, we somehow the blind, and, and so the healing circles really does get at the blindness uh, as well as helping to, I think, and establish the bond. Absolutely, because I think what we're aiming for, first of all, we're aiming for a future that we none of us know. We're aiming a future that, and and part of the challenge that we face in society today is a cowardice in the face of the unknown. Yeah. Uh, imagining a more equal future. Yeah. Requires sacrificing a less equal now. Yeah. And and uh, and that other great quote that I love, which is to be the change that you you know envision and long for, and um, uh, and and there's you know at a time when there's then anonymity and the celebration of the individual and the reseeding of people mm. from real relationships into virtual worlds that are silos that require little empathy and no sacrifice. So it it you know. Um, I think stepping not only out of, not only in, in, within our bubbles into real relationships, but out of those to engage others um, is, is a real call to action. And you just said something that is a, a major catalyst for me right now, which is uh, this week we begin to read in the Jewish world from the book of Leviticus. And most people have trouble reading the book of Leviticus because it is about the priesthood and the sacrificial system. Mm. And I spend a lot of time talking with people about how to speak about sacrifices. Bat and bar mitzvah students really love talking about you know animal sacrifices. It's high on their list of things that they want to talk about. <laughs> and yet, here we are saying, what do we need to give up? Mm. What do we need to give up about our perception of the world, about our perception of ourselves, about our attachments to the way things are mm. in order to get to a place where things might be better? 
you know, and Jonathan, I can't think of a better Lenten practice. <laughs> Speaking now, of the time of year. <laughs> the time of year that, that we are in the season of Lent, which is a time of giving up. And what better thing to give up, you know, other than chocolate, uh, these, <laughs> you know, these, these sort of racial stereotypes and, uh, or white power and privilege and, uh. and to live for six weeks. Uh, in that, uh, as you said before, you know, that place we're afraid to go mm. and just put our toe in the water and see what that would be like. Well, so there's a call to action for us as we head into this Sunday uh, where many of us uh, might be heading to a house of worship. Uh, many of us in the Jewish world might be heading to religious school or Sunday school this morning. And, and this is a season leading to both of our holy days, right? We lead from uh, Ash Wednesday uh, last week to Easter in the Christian world. And we lead from uh, Purim, which is coming up next week, to Passover in the Jewish world. And uh, these days are meant to be made days of meaning leading to something. Mm. What would we say as a Lenten call to action, in addition to giving up meat on Fridays, uh, might we give up on something that we are attached to about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And trust, I would say. Trust that the image of God within us will complete us in a way that we didn't even imagine if we give up that uh, one thing that we're attached to that may not really be central or essential to who we are. Wow, trust in the fact that the image of God, though it may not look like us, is still us. Yeah. There is a big uh, sacrificial <laughs> call and leap of faith for this season. Tom Yorty, uh, senior pastor at Westminster uh, Presbyterian Church in downtown Buffalo. Thank you so much for being with us here today on Crossroads. I'm Rabbi Jonathan Fryrich. I look forward to a holy season of... Uh, initiative and uh, um, worthwhile sacrifice. Thank you so much for being with us. Great to be with you, Jonathan. Have a wonderful Sunday, everyone.